Welcome to episode 251 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us for another episode. For Sebastian Terry, the path to finding his life purpose began with a list of 100 things he wanted to do before he died. That list sparked a best-selling book, documentaries, a reality TV show, and a movement to spread kindness to others. This week, Sebastian talked with me to explain how he inadvertently launched a global movement and how each of us can be part of that movement and create a culture of kindness wherever we work, live, and play. Sebastian, thank you so much for joining us on Live Happy Now. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to chat. Well, your story is so very interesting because it takes a unique path. So I guess the best place that we can start with you is to have you tell us the story behind 100 Things. Sure, sure. Well, essentially, 100 Things is a completely accidental movement, kind of of a global scale. And it's all about sort of happiness and purpose and connection. Essentially, what happened was I finished high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was told to get a university degree. So I did. I went to university or uni, as we say in Australia. And uh, (laughs) I got this degree and it took me three and a half years and I came out in a bit of debt. And I was just feeling very lost still. I didn't really feel very connected to anything. And I ended up backpacking overseas with no money and just bouncing between countries and continents. And then I heard the news. Uh, I got a phone call in the middle of the night from a friend back in Sydney, where I'm originally from. And he broke the news that one of my closest mates growing up, Chris, had tragically passed away overnight. And the news rocked me and it rocked the northern beaches of Sydney because Chris was a pillar of community. And I didn't really know what to do. And what I suppose happened is I I had a hypothetical question pop in my head and that was quite simply, am I living well? And I realized that I wasn't. The specific question was, am I happy? And the answer was no. And I thought, well, how do I prioritize happiness? So I got a pen and a piece of paper and I jotted down a list of things that I thought would make me smile more. And that list, of course, went from one thing to 10 to 50 to 100 things. And I decided very shortly after that moment to drop everything in my life to pursue happiness by way of my quite odd list of 100 things. And that was 10 and a half years ago. And and now I've ticked off a lot of things from the list. And and as I mentioned, sort of accidentally started a a movement of kindness between people around the world. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) It absolutely makes sense. But I have to ask, how did your parents respond to the news that you were going to chuck it all and go find happiness? Well, it's such an interesting question because I wasn't really supported by anyone, including my parents. By the time I ended up leaving, I left on my 28th birthday and my my mum was in tears, unfortunately. And, and, you know, she obviously wanted the best for me. And she said, you know, you should be here starting a career and earning money. And I said, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be happy if I did that. Wouldn't you be happier if I tried to explore life and the world and find what it is that I'm here to do? type thing. And she said, no, get a suit and get a job. (laughs) So, you know, and and I had a similar sort of, you know, conversation with a lot of friends who said, you know, this is a silly idea, but I knew I had to, I, I, it was just very clear in my head that smiling genuinely was my priority. And that was, as I said, at first by completing a lot of bizarre and abstract things from a list. And, and then soon after I realized it was actually about connection and helping people. Had you always been somebody who really had to pursue their own satisfaction, like you wanted to do things that were going to make you happy versus what you should do? No, I I think that's kind of the point exactly. I never was. I was always someone who, you know, had followed the norm, the blueprint put out in front of us. And, 
you know, a lot of us probably resonates if I say that the path that I was going down was, you know, education, further education to get a job, to earn money, to accumulate things, to at some point retire at 65 and get a house and support a family. And, and of course, that is a beautiful concept. But I just wasn't there myself. At that point in my life, I just found there was so much else. I wanted to discover who I was. So I'd never prioritized any of that stuff. And so my list was essentially me giving myself permission to be selfish in a very healthy way to try and find myself and find purpose and passion and, and all those wonderful words. So yeah, the, the list was the first time really in my life that I'd given myself permission and to take action on that kind of stuff because it, it just sat muted until that point in the background, you know? That takes a special kind of courage because you refer, you said you decided to be selfish, but it's also incredibly courageous to take that kind of a leap and say, this is what I know the path is and this is what people think I should be doing, but this is what I feel led to do and I'm going to follow that. How did you find the, the courage to just follow that? Well, you know, it was so interesting. I, I actually found it to be the easiest decision I've ever made. And I, I don't say that lightly because I guess it after my friend Chris had passed and I, I gave it a lot of thought and I, I actually thought this, my specific thinking was if Chris could have another 24 years, he, he passed away when he was 24, would he change anything if he had another chance? And I don't think he would have. I think he lived a life that was very, very true to his values and the things that lit him up inside, et cetera. And turning that question on myself at 24, 25, I remember just thinking if I died today, could I look back at my life and say that I was really happy with everything that I had done up until that point? And I'd never looked at my life from that point of view before. And I, and I just realized almost immediately that I would change everything. And, and I just didn't know myself. I, as, as I mentioned before, I just wasn't happy. And so it was actually a very easy thing. Once I realized that everyone's different, but my priority sat with just wanting to feel good. As soon as I, I realized that, I just reshaped my life so that, that I could at least try and explore that. And I didn't have any money. I didn't have any handouts. I didn't have any anything along the way that put me on a, on a pedestal or allowed it to happen in, a, in an easier way. I, I just realized that I just needed to do it. And I did. And I talk a lot about action and the power of choice. And ultimately, we're so accountable for what we do in our life. And if there is something that we really, you know, it's so shiny and it seems very integral to who we are as a person, you just have to press play and go for it. And that's all I did. And you're not the first person to do something like this, but what's unusual about your experience is it became this global movement. You've had documentary, best-selling books. Can you mm -hmm. talk about how that has just burgeoned into to something bigger than you ever expected it to be? Yeah, absolutely. I, it was only meant to be a personal journey and there was no strategy or, or anything, which of course now in a world where in a world where a lot of people want to speak, I do a lot of keynote speaking, a lot of people are writing or you know, would like to write books and get into TV or whatever. No word of a lie. It was just something organic that found me. I was traveling along and doing my thing. I, I think I just delivered a baby from my list, which is number 23, which in <laughs> itself is a very, very bizarre story. I got, an, I got an invite from a stranger in Canada. And, and to this day, I just love Canadians. And anyway, I, I got an email from someone saying, would you like to write a book? And I just said, yes. So I published a book with Random House, the world's biggest publishing company. And, you know, I suppose that got read by plenty of people. And then that got turned into, as you say, a documentary with Discovery Channel, more recently, something with ESPN, a reality show in the US, which, you know, follows me as I help strangers around the world tick things from their list. And I, all I can say is I don't know how it's all come together from a practical pragmatic point of view, but I, I do know that everything is unfolded because I just followed my heart and, and I continue to to this day. And that's the reason we're chatting. You know, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> I'm very grateful for you to have me on. And 
yeah, there's just something to be said. I mean, I don't go around, of course, telling people how to manage their money or any of that stuff. I just talk about doing things that make you feel good. And, and my belief is that if you do things that make you feel good and the byproduct of that is that it has a positive impact on other people, I think the money or the opportunities will flow in after that. And I'm just speaking from my own experience, but that's kind of how it's happened. So it's been a beautiful accident, as I like to describe it. And obviously people have been inspired by this because even if they're not going to quit a job or do it to the extent that you did it, I think a lot of people are like, wow, yeah, there are a lot of things that I haven't done that I would like to do. And they start making a list and start going through those. And what have you heard from people who do that, who take that leap and start doing that? I hear nothing but positivity. I've never met anyone who's regretted following their heart. And thankfully, 100 Things has become a really positive catalyst for people to take the leap. And like you say, you don't have to leave a job. You don't have to be extravagant and drop everything in your life like I did. You can very much balance this. I mean, it's very important to mention that although I may have lived on a deserted island for a week by myself, which in itself is quite extreme, for other people, it may be hugging their dad. That might be on their list. A list is very relative. They could be personal. They could be professional. I mean, the idea here is that we all take a moment to try and understand our values, you know, whatever that might be at that point or this point in time for anyone, and to make a set of goals that really contribute to strengthening that value. And and as I said, that can happen at home. That can happen in the community. That can happen at work. And so this isn't about necessarily a big change in your life. This is just about complementing your life with meaningful and relevant goals that really light you up. My list, I think, probably gained a bit of attention because it was very odd, very strange and bizarre. <laughs> you mean naked but, skydiving? Is that what we're talking about now? Uh, yeah, oh. absolutely. If you, if you see any photos, just know that it was cold, by the way. It was, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it, it could be anything. It could be walking more. It could be reading more. It could be saying, I love you to someone. It doesn't really matter is what I found out. And, and what I can say is, although, again, I get a lot of attention for my list, retrospectively, all I've really discovered, I think, is my list is a a simple vehicle for me to find out who I am on a deeper primal level, I'd suggest. And now the, the challenge, and if I was to try and be profound, I would say the secret to living a very fulfilling life is working out who you are. I, I think I've done that via my list. And then continually practicing to be that person every single day, authentically, in every aspect of life. So, yes, there's been some crazy things there, marrying a stranger in Vegas, walking across France, you know, whatever it might be. But that all those things have really done is allowed me to just work out a little bit more of who I am. And, and, and yeah, I think if everyone on the planet was able to be themselves authentically, unapologetically, apologetically every single day, the world would be a fantastic place. Oh, yeah. And you also talk about how you found your purpose by doing this. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think we all have a pur- We should be living a purpose-driven lifestyle, you know, in everything we do. I, I think it's a, a great way, perhaps the only way, for us to connect with ourselves. And, and I talk a lot about this idea of You know, when you get into a plane and they say, put an oxygen mask on first before helping others in case of an emergency, I sort of feel like that is the secret to life. You have to look after yourself. And when you have, and you're at a certain point where you do feel fulfilled and you're certainly on on the path to finding yourself deeply and truly, I think that's when you then naturally become productive to other people. And in my story, for example, I'd done a bunch of stuff from my list. I'd got a lot of media attention, et cetera. And then a man reached out to me who had seen me on TV do an interview. And he told me that he created a list of 150 things and he wanted me to shave his head. And I thought, well, that's really bizarre, but I'll do it. Why not? <laughs> so I met up with this guy, Mark, in Melbourne in Australia. 
And I shaved his head and along the way learned his predicament, which was that he was able-bodied until the age of 32. He got bitten by a tick and then contracted Lyme's disease. And he, he turned very tragically into a quadriplegic. He can't speak. He can't move. He needs a care team. And, it, you know, it, it's very, very intense. Anyway, as I shaved his head, he told me that his dream or his carer told me on his behalf that his another one of his dreams was to complete a half marathon. And I looked at him and I said, well, how can I help? And the first two words he said to me that I ever understood were, push me. And in that moment, I just realized exactly what I was here to do, and that was to push Mark in a half marathon. And, and I did it a few months later. And we, you know, we didn't win the, the half marathon, I should say, but we finished it. And it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And, and from that moment, I, essentially, I, I just realized how important it is for us to connect with ourselves so that we can connect with others. And I've done nothing but help people since that moment. And now, of course, I, I sort of have a matchmaking platform for kindness where, you know, I introduce people who need help to people who want to help. Because as I, as I see it, the world's full of good people. Everyone is innately wired, desired. We have the ability to help people. We're just not sure how. How did you go about starting that? Because now you've made this a platform that is global for us be, to be able to help one another and ask for help. So can you talk about how that evolved after meeting Mark and you deciding that that's what you needed to do? Yeah, absolutely. I guess it changed the trajectory of my life helping Mark. I'd never been of service to anyone. I'd been selfish until that point, which I think was important too. And I, it just became very addictive. I wanted to help as many people as I could. And I began to receive emails from people all around the world saying, this is my story. Could you help me do this, this or that? And wherever I could, I did. And, you know, some people were just lonely and they just wanted to talk to someone. So I'd call them up. Some people from last wishes to families who were going through some struggle and they needed to find a particular family of springs to mind as a family wanted to get suits for their twins who happened to be autistic. They were graduating from high school and going to their school prom, but didn't have any suits. And they asked me for a suit. So I ended up putting that to my community. And of course, we got suits donated, but we got supercars donated for them to get taken to the prom. Oh, inside. my gosh. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And I, I just saw very clearly that people were desperate to help. They just needed the opportunity. And, and my position was just highlighting these people who needed help. So I, it dawned on me it, you know, quite quickly, well, I'm slowing this down. It's great. And I'm really happy that I'm helping people. But I'm, you know, it's slow. I'm happy to be the project manager, if you will. So I thought if I could design an online site which does this automatically, that match makes people, well, that's kind of the secret sauce as, as I see it. So that's what I did. So I, I moved to America. I now live in L.A., and that's what I'm doing. I'm building this thing out. And the funny story was I actually gave a talk. I give a bunch of keynotes on purpose and happiness and kindness, et cetera. And I was speaking in San Quentin prison to a bunch of inmates who were completing a program called The Last Mile, which essentially teaches inmates how to code so that when they get out of prison, they, they have a you know really sought after skill and they get a job. It's an oh, amazing. Nice. Oh, yeah. You should check it out. The Last Mile. They're brilliant. So I gave a talk to 60 inmates, and at the end, four of these inmates approached me and said, hey, we want to build that site for you. And I said, absolutely. So the Kyensum site, if you go there now, it's, it's very basic, and we're just getting started, but it's built entirely from behind prison walls. Which That's is incredible. Oh, yeah. It's so wonderful. It's given purpose to these inmates. Of the four inmates who built it, two of them have, are out now. They've been released from prison, and they're on Kyensum now as people looking to help others. It's incredible. So, and very organically from the site, there's been, you know, beautiful things that have happened from a dog that was going to get put down because he was on an over overpopulated doggy pound. And so we found him a forever home that day through the community. There was a guy called Keese who reached out. He told me, you know, the really sad story that he lost his eldest son, but promised his remaining kids that he would build them a tree house in his son's honor. 
but he didn't know how to build a treehouse. So he, he shared that project on Kindsome and 20 volunteers from throughout the US it flew to Bend, Oregon over one weekend to help build a treehouse for oh, a stranger. Yeah. So there's just things like that. And, and, and I guess that's kind of where we're taking it. I mean, it, it sort of appeals very much, of course, to a community, to the general public. And then really interestingly, it seems that within organizational culture, businesses are starting to understand that having happy employees is such an, an integral part of, of a successful business. And, and not only that, but employees now are so socially conscious that they really want to have impact and purpose in their jobs. And so there's, you know, there's a, there's a big kind of sway towards companies trying to onboard a lot more kindness. And so Kindsome obviously appeals in that sense too. So we're sort of working in the general public and we're working with a lot of organizations and it's, it's really fascinating and I'm learning every single day and we're, it's a beautiful exploration and, and that's kind of where we're at to today. And you have some interesting requests on there. I, there's one Operation Kidney Bean, I believe oh. it's called, where yeah. a young lady needs a kidney. Absolutely. I mean, you've just said it and I'm so glad you did. Yeah. Her name's Shana. I, I recently met Shana and she has end stage renal failure. She's on dialysis. And yeah, I've learned about this predicament through Shana. So essentially on dialysis, they say that your life expectancy is around five years when you're on dialysis. Shana needs a kidney and the wait list for a kidney is about 10 years. So if you do oh, the maths, wow. it's not very nice. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, the onus is on people to try and find kidneys in their own way. And so Shana has shared her story on Kindsome and I talk about it as much as I can, which is why I'm so grateful that you've brought it up. And it's a very extreme way of helping. But if there's anyone listening who is interested in donating a kidney, because we have two and we don't need them both, <laughs> let, let us know. But yeah, and I guess it kind of speaks to the point of kindness comes in all shapes and forms. You can donate a kidney as a very extreme version, but you can also smile at someone. And also kindness is something that, of course, it can be external, you're kind to others, but kindness also very much applies to ourselves. We have to be kind to ourselves. And so again, you know, there are so many ways that we can action kindness right now in this moment. And that excites me. I, I'm a very much an action-based person. I've become an action-based person through my own journey. And yeah, I love the idea that once you give yourself permission to really think about what's important to you, you just open up this world, which is immediately available to you. And, and that's exciting. And how has it changed you to see this kindness movement take off to watch what other people are doing for one another, beginning with the, the guys from prison who wanted to build the site. How does it touch you to see what that's, how it's connecting people? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I find that hard to even verbalize. I mean, I know that when I first started this story and my journey, I just wanted to find happiness, you know, whatever that is. I know there are so many definite happiness or contentment or fulfillment, but I, I just wanted to feel good and I feel really good now. And I, I think the thing that just, surprised me at first, but now absolutely drives me is the sense that we're all in this together. You know, this isn't just a story about me anymore. This is about a, a greater community, a global community. And to see prisoners behind bars working with passion to build a site that's going to help people in general connect in, in more meaningful ways to see, I, I got an email 20 minutes before we jumped on this call. I got an email from an 11 year old girl in California who wants to become, she has an illness, and I can't quite remember the name of the illness. I'll try and find it as we're chatting. But she wants to become an ambassador, well, she is already an advocate for this illness. She saved, she's allowed two people to find out that they had the illness just through raising awareness. So she's helped two people. And she just emailed me saying that she wants to do a fun run, a marathon, a five kilometer, a 10 kilometer, a half marathon, and a full marathon event as a fundraiser for this illness. And she's asked me for help. So as of this morning, 
quite have time to do it before this call, but I'm going to upload her story onto Kindson. And we're going to, you know, if there's anyone out there who'd like to help an 11 year old girl raise money through organizing a fun run, here's an opportunity for someone to do that. So yeah, a very long way of answering your question is I'm so thrilled, excited, blown away, humbled, but you know, ultimately inspired by the fact that there's an 11 year old girl doing this for, you know, a fundraising event. There are prisoners, there are people who have written to me saying that they were, they were on the brink of taking their own life, but haven't because of the message messages that they've seen in 100 Things and Kindsome, you know, messages of hope and connection and that people are good. I actually, I just flew into, I'm in Sydney right now as we speak. I'm here to, to give a, a, I'm doing a roadshow of keynote talks. And on the way over here, I was very fortunate. I had a business class plane ticket. And I've always, always wanted to give away a business class plane ticket and swap with someone in economy. I just don't fly business that often. But because I had it, I thought, <laughs> well, today's the perfect opportunity. So I, I spoke to the cabin crew, the cabin manager, actually, on the plane. And I said, look, is there any way I can swap my seat with someone? And he was very taken back. And he said, why? And I said, I just always wanted to do it. I thought it'd be really nice. So he stood me up. He told the rest of the cabin crew, everyone got really emotional and they took me to the back of the plane where there was a guy called Keith who had boarded the plane in crutches and he was really struggling to carry his bags. And I approached Keith and I said, hey, would you like to swap seats with me? I have one up the front of the plane. And of course he said yes. And the really interesting thing about this is that Keith was blown away. He got quite emotional as well. He took my seat, seat 5A up the front. He had a great time. I sat at the back. I was a little uncomfortable, but I don't care. <laughs> I felt amazing. And the beautiful ripple effect of kindness is that not only was Keith feeling good, I felt amazing for being in a position to be able to do that. But the cabin crew were just blown away. And kindness to me is something that it just inspires kindness in others. We all want to be kind. And when we're kind, we feel invincible. And and the, the beauty is we all have it in, inside us. And yeah, that's what's inspiring. That's what's super touching for me and my passion, my my purpose, my desire really is just to see a kinder world. And there's a lot of talk about it and there's a lot of things and memes and stuff that you see on Facebook and, and Instagram and I'm all for those, but I, I'm really about action. So that's my purpose. Today I'm speaking on a stage to I think 2,000 people in the travel industry and you know I'm just going to talk about kindness. That is fantastic because kindness doesn't cost us anything. And it rewards us so much. It does so much for the person who's the recipient. So what is it going forward that you hope to see? You've taken it already beyond anything you originally envisioned. What is it you hope to see going forward? Great question. I Yeah, I mean, already it's it's got to a point where this is all new for me now. This is all unexplored territory, but the opportunity is huge. I want to see a kinder world. I, I want to see a world where people can connect. You know, we have all this technology in our phones to order food and buy flights and find love or you know, whatever, all the things, but you can't help people. You can't instantly find people in your area to help. And, in, and you know, on the, on the reverse side of that, if you need help, it's very hard to get your story out there. So I want that to be, I just want kindness. I want opportunity to be kind to one another, to become something which is second nature and very habitual in, in the general community. And separate to that, I you know, in the workplaces, I, I, I want to see, and I want to be able to help organizational desire to be kinder, to have more greater social impact. And I want to be able to really help explore those avenues with people. I mean, the we're all here to be kind. And, and I think in a, in a day and age where technology is, it's so rife, it's developed at such a rate. And, you know, we always talk about how disconnected we feel now. I see there being a really big opportunity to use social media and technology for good. And, and that's what I'm committed to. So, you know, it's kind of odd. I sort of get celebrated for having, a, initially it was about having a list and trying to be happy. And people thought, wow, what a unique story. Well, it shouldn't be a unique <laughs> story. It, it should be everyone's story. And so that's, 
ultimately what I want now, not only for self-actualization through being happy and achieving things, but kindness too. Again, now I get celebrated for being kind and that shouldn't happen. Everyone should be in the same boat. And so I just want to make it normal. I think my, I mean, ideally success for me is no one knowing about me because kindness is normal. <laughs> I love that. What a great, you become obsolete, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Sebastian, this is a wonderful thing. When, when I come back, I'm going to tell them where they can go to find links to what you're doing. They can sign sure. up. They can help other people. They can stay in touch with what you're doing. They can get your book. They can find out where to watch the documentary. They will. They can just bathe themselves in Sebastian there. But I do. I appreciate all that you're doing to, <laughs> to truly make this world a better place. Well, thank you. And, and thank you so much for, of course, everything you're doing and taking the time to interview me. I, I appreciate it. And I feel it would be rude of me if I didn't say if there's anyone listening who needs help or you know someone who does, feel free to nominate them on the website. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. Sebastian, I appreciate your time. I know you've got a full day today. I appreciate you being able to squeeze us in and uh, tell us what you're doing. Of course, of course. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. That was Sebastian Terry, founder of 100 Things and the kindness sharing platform, Kindsome. If you'd like to learn more about Sebastian, be part of his movement, watch a documentary, or just see some great pictures of him doing one of his 100 things, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. <laughs>